Hello and welcome back to the T-Druff, the Film Buff Podcast. This is episode 40 of the show. Took a week off last week. I was out of town. But uh, we're back to it this week. This is this is a tough one, though. I, I gotta say, this is a tough one. You know, um, it's been... Over my lifetime, there's been, you know, of course, plenty of famous people have died. Plenty of people that... Famous people that I, you know, cared for or admired from afar, all of the above. Um, I don't know. Yesterday when Kobe Bryant and the eight others died in the, in the helicopter crash, some reason that one hit me a little differently uh, than some of the other famous ones over the years. I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, it's, you know, but I did think that, you know, after rewatching Dear Basketball quite a few times yesterday, his animated short film based on the poem he released after um, retiring in 2015, 2016, um, I thought I might as well play his uh, the John Williams score from that in the background here. I don't know if I'll get flagged. I don't know how that works, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, just a lot of thoughts, though. I got to say, uh, this one... It, it did hit me hard. I was uh, just just Saturday, actually, the day before this all happened. I was uh, just listening to a podcast he did uh, with Anna Ferris, actually. Um, it was back two or three years ago when he was promoting uh, the film uh, during Oscar season. Um, you know, the podcast itself isn't it doesn't have much great material, but it was just him kind of talking about his goals and his objectives related to his life beyond basketball, his family, um, his passion on and off the court. It's it's kind of unmatched, really. Um, I thought that was just a very weird and eerie, eerie kind of situation, kind of knowing that I just listened to that and then a day later he had passed. And, you know, when I found out that he had uh, died in the crash... Uh, I was, in fact, playing NBA 2K20, which is even weirder because I can't tell you how many hours, how many freaking days I spent playing NBA 2K online with Kobe Bryant and, and just winning so many games because of him. It, it doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, it doesn't mean anything that I did that. Uh, but it's just a weird, weird situation, very eerie and, and overall just sad at what happened, so... I don't really know that there's much more to address, but you know, it, it's even weirder that like Kobe Bryant's, you know, an athlete that when I was younger, man, I, I despised watching him, but I, I admired it, you know, I respected his game, um, but but there was something about it. I was like, oh God, I can't stand the fact that we don't have him on the Bulls here in Chicago, and then of course like what oh four oh five oh six whatever that was, he had. Uh, asked to potentially be traded to, to Chicago. I remember that in the newspaper. I think I still have that newspaper headline of him in a Bulls uniform. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But over the years, really, really grew to uh, admire him and, uh, and, and root for him. I remember watching that 60-point game like it was yesterday, his final game against Utah, I believe. Uh, yeah, something special he was on and off the court. Whatever your feelings are, guy was a dang hard worker and, and something you know we can all take into our own lives a little bit. 
but let's let's go ahead and get on with the normal show. Um, no easy transition, obviously. Um, Taika Waititi was eyed uh, or is being eyed to direct a a Star Wars movie. Um, of course, we have we know nothing about the context or, or why he's being eyed. What uh, the folks over at Lucasfilm like about Taika Waititi, really, what's what's there not to like? Um, but we don't know the story. We don't know if this is the Kevin Feige movie. We don't know if this is somehow that Old Republic movie. Although I think recently they said that it wasn't going to be an Old Republic movie. I think they had kind of confirmed that the Old Republic story that they were working on is being pushed or stalled. I don't really know what the, the situation is with that, but um certainly interesting um he's probably the hottest director working today right coming off Thor Ragnarok Jojo Rabbit this year nominated for best picture among many other awards he's got the uh the soccer movie coming out next year with Michael Fassbender that he just quickly shot um instead of Akira of course um which he was working on with Warner Brothers for quite a few years my understanding uh, and then that kind of fell through, or at least that is, you know, off the table for now. Um, that movie's coming out next year, and I believe he starts filming on Thor Love and Thunder in the next month or two, or a couple months, um, for a November 2021 release. So, you know, busy, busy guy for sure. I know he's actually working on, as well, the, the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, so... The guy is nonstop working. He's also an actor. He's in Free Guy this year. I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot going on with Taika. Um, and uh, it seems like Disney wants to stay in the, the Taika business. So uh, that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm still waiting to hear if Christian Bale is going to sign on for Thor 4 or not. I, I think that would be one of the most fascinating castings uh, of recent memory. So we'll see if that uh, pans out. Another bummer news. Uh, House of the Dragon, according to Deadline, which is the Game of Thrones prequel slash adaptation of George R. R. Martin's book Fire and Blood, uh, it's on track to debut in 2022. Of course, it's in the writing stages now, and generally a show of this, you know, stature and in this scale, um, you know, takes a long time to put together. Uh, it takes a long time to cast, and, and since HBO has given this a green light series, uh, you have to believe um, that they're going to really take their time with this, considering what happened to the uh, you know, the Long Night series, or, or Blood, Moon, Blood Moon, as the uh, working title was, uh, since that has been canned uh, last fall. So, uh, you know, interested to see how they cast this, um, how the story kind of plays out in the, in the writing room. Um, and of course, I can't wait for production to actually start. But man, 2022 is a long ass time from here, from now. Uh, and I would just assume, knowing HBO, that they would want to keep that April, May time slot, June even, um, for this show just to kind of, I don't, I don't know, just keep the routine, I guess. Um, and yeah, so th- you would think that this thing starts filming probably a little under a year from now, maybe even a year from now, depending on how fast they cast this and how fast the, the writer's room comes up with the 
uh, eight to ten episodes or whatever they're going to, you know, put together for this one, and then, you know, we'll get the first trailer, maybe, maybe first teaser trailer, Comic Con twenty twenty one, which, is, God, that's just such a long time from now, but maybe that'll be the first Comic Con I actually attend. I've always wanted to attend one of those things, and uh, we'll see. We shall see. Uh, so that's really all of the major news over the last week or so. Pretty much all of Hollywood is in a awards campaigning mode right now, slash Sundance mode. Um, you know, all sorts of movies debuting at Sundance. I hear great things about uh, Promising Young Woman, um, about uh, Zola, I believe is the other one, with Riley Keough. Um, of course, the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. Uh, she's just in so many so many great ind- independent films uh, and even a film like hold the dark which i wasn't a huge fan of on netflix uh, she was really really good and kind of hauntingly good uh, so i always kind of look out to see what she's doing um of course she was in mad max fury road um she was in uh, uh not honey boy the other uh, Sh- shia labeouf one american honey um, which was another really, really great underrated film from like 2015, 2016. Um, but anyway, a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff coming out of Sundance. And um, yeah, so that's that. There's really not much news though. Uh, so since this is the last episode before the, um, I guess it's not the last episode before the Oscars. I kind of forgot that it's two weeks from now, right? Uh, it's the last episode before the Super Bowl though. So I'm going to go ahead and give my prediction now. Um, of course, the Chiefs, the Niners. Do I even watch football that much nowadays? No. I watch the Bears and I watch maybe the nationally, tele- nationally televised games. That's about it. Um, but I think the Chiefs are going to take this one pretty handedly, actually. I think it'll be a good game um, towards the end, I think. But for the, for the most part, I think that this is going to be like a 21-7 to 7 28 to, to 10 game for like the first two or three quarters. I think the Chiefs are going to get out to a hot start, um, score a couple touchdowns in the first quarter. Um, uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to rush for a bunch of yards. Um, I think it's going to be the first time where I actually see that Niners defense kind of not fall apart. That's, that's a strong word. But I think it's going to be kind of similar to how the Bears and the Colts, uh, Bears and the Colts game from 06. Um, or I guess 07 is when the game actually was played. Uh, I, th- I think that that's kind of how the game is going to go. Like maybe the Niners get off to like a, a big play, like Devin Hester returned that touchdown, maybe something like that. But for the most part, the Colts and now the Chiefs, they're going to they're gonna pretty much handle that uh, the first three quarters. And I think the Niners will make it interesting toward the fourth quarter. The Chiefs um, maybe will give up a touchdown or two late, um, but the final 31-21 are, eh, yeah, we'll go 31-23 final uh, Chiefs over the Niners. That's how I'm feeling as of now. That prediction could change, but since it's the last podcast beforehand, we might as well give that prediction. Um, let's go on to my updated Oscar prediction since it's been a couple weeks. Um, here's how I see it breaking out with the, the main categories. Um, I see screenplay... Now, I'm kind of switching my tune. I'm looking at my Gold Derby predictions right now, and I have original screenplay with Once Upon a Time winning over Parasite, over Marriage Story, um, over Knives Out, over 1917. I don't think 1917 has a chance. I don't really think Knives Out has a chance. As much as people love that movie, I just don't. 
I don't think Marriage Story has a chance. It's coming down to Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I actually think right now that Parasite is going to win that category. Um, best Adapted Screenplay is sort of the, the ultimate unknown, I think, actually. Out of any of these categories, I have no idea how that one is going to play out. I can see four of the five films winning this category. I don't think the two popes, is they don't have enough behind them uh, to get them a win in really any of the categories. Um, so I think that's the only one that doesn't have a chance. Uh, I could certainly see Joker coming out with this. I can definitely see Jojo Rabbit winning this. I could see this being the only category the Irishman wins. And I can certainly see Greta Gerwig getting it for Little Women there. Uh, because it didn't get the Best Director nomination, um, and I don't think it's going to win the Best Picture nomination, although it does have an outside chance. Um, but I think as of right now, I am still leaning towards Little Women uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay. Let's go on to Supporting Actor. I think Brad Pitt, I think this might be the only true lock of the entire night. I think Brad Pitt is going to walk away with this uh, Supporting Actor nomination way over anybody else um let's face it joe pesci's probably not going to show up to the award show uh so that'd be awkward if he wins and then does, he's not even there anyway best supporting actress i actually feel like this category is closing a little bit the gap is closing i'm, I'm getting this feeling that scarlett johansson for jojo rabbit has a legitimate chance i don't think margot robbie or kathy bates have a chance florence Pugh, there's like an outside shot um, but I just don't think, I don't think that that role is flashy enough uh, for the Academy. Like Scarlett Johansson, some of the best stuff that she does in the movie um, is very subtle. And, and, and almost her character arc, without spoiling anything, helps uh, her cause and helps that character be almost more qualified for an Oscar. Um, but... I do think Laura Dern probably still wins this one, but I, I, I legitimately see that gap closing in this category for Best Supporting Actress. Um, let's see if Gold Derby has those odds of anything better for Scarlett as of now. When I bet, when I put my bet down, Laura Dern had 5-1 to one odds and Scarlett Johansson was 13-2. Um, so let's go ahead and see. Where, where are they at with Supporting Actress? So Laura Dern is now at 31 over 10, um, so that's even better odds. Scarlett Johansson has, uh, a tw they, they think, a 25% chance. She's 4-1 to one odds. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's that that dramatic. I think that there's, I, I really do think that that gap is closing. I really do. Um, but with that said, let's move on to Best Actor. Uh, I think that this is probably going to be another cakewalk, I think. Um, Joaquin Phoenix will, will come away with the, the award over Adam Driver. DiCaprio had his chance a couple years ago. Antonio Banderas and Jonathan Price, I just don't think, have enough behind them. And I actually think that this category is relatively weak this year. Um, it's top-heavy, I should say. Adam Driver certainly worthy. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, best Actress, probably another, um, you know, cakewalk for Renee Zellweger. But just this, this weird... I mean, when last year when Glenn Close didn't win for The Wife and Olivia Coleman came out of it um, for The Favorite, I don't know. Like, what if they throw it to Charlize Theron for Bombshell? Or what if they do give it to Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story? Although I feel like people are going to vote for her in one of the categories and not both. 
Um, so I think that a lot of people are going to vote for her for JoJo. So that might, uh, you know, ruin her chances. And I think that bolsters Judy's, or I should say Renee Zellweger's chance for Judy. Um, and let's move on to Best Director. This is probably the closest category, other than Best Picture, of the entire award show. Um, honestly, Scorsese won't win. He won't win. And Tyler Phillips more than likely won't win. And I still don't think Quentin Tarantino can win. I just don't think he's gonna get. I don't think he's gonna get the majority of the votes here. I think that there's a lot of people who love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A lot of people really don't like it. Parasite in 1917, pretty consensus Best Picture nominations. I don't think anybody didn't vote for those two. Uh, certainly Parasite. Uh, so I think that these Best Director and Best Picture might flip. Like, you know, they might, one gets one, one gets the other. So that's why I'm actually changing my prediction. Oh, God, it's tough. Do I even want to? Let's see, let's see what the odds are right now. This is on the fly, middle of the podcast prediction here. What do we got for best director? So they have Sam Mendes at 10, 10 to 3 odds and Bong Joon-ho at 37 to 10 odds. Pretty much uh, the same, but they do have Mendes as a slight favorite here. Um, and I, I, I like, I like Mendez. I, I'm going to stick with Mendez. I'm going to stick with him. Um, and here, and here's where I'm, I'm flipping because best picture to me, um, to me, 1917 should win. It should win. But man, oh man, do I kind of believe that Parasite has a legit shot. Now I'm moving Parasite ahead of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so let's go ahead and update that. Okay. Do, 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 do. All right. So I now have 1917 over Parasite winning Best Picture. Let, let's go ahead. I, I tweeted out my actual feelings on the Best Picture rankings and how I would rank them. Um, let's go ahead and read that out now. So to me, Joker is the ninth best best picture. Then I would put The Irishman at number eight. Then I would move up to Little Women at number seven. Ford v. Ferrari at number six. Parasite at five. Marriage Story at four. Jojo Rabbit at three. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at two. And my favorite best picture of the year nomination would be 1917. Um, so slightly different rankings here because I don't think Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, or Marriage Story have a chance. Um, something like Joker and Jojo Rabbit, as I said a couple weeks ago, certainly have that outside chance. I think Little Women is going to get a lot of, a, a portion of the votes for a lot of people. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is certainly going to get a lot of, uh, love from the Academy. It's a film about Hollywood. What can they say? Uh, Parasite 1917. I think that's what it comes down to those two. It just does. Um, and there's a part of me that does believe Parasite is going to come out of it. Um, but I think the safe choice is 1917, so I'm going with the safe choice because when you're a betting man, you got to go with the safer choice. You can't go with the unknown. And I, it's been so long since the Academy's legitimately given uh, a foreign film best picture. I believe could be wrong, but I believe uh, if I did my my initial thoughts correctly. So I'll stick with 1917. All right, uh, moving on here. Since this will be the last podcast I do. Uh, before the Arrow finale, I put together a list of things I'm going to remember about the show. And, and one of the things that comes to mind before I even mention this list is that 
This is the first show I have ever watched in my life that I've watched every single episode when it came out from the beginning to the end. Now, there's never been another show like that. Like Friends missed some, missed some episodes. Obviously, didn't watch it live. All the Disney shows I used to watch as a kid never, never hit every episode. Um, so just something weird worth noting there. Um, but I'll remember that unknown feeling of what a superhero show was going to be like in 2012 and, and really how Stephen Amell and the cast of Arrow and the crew of Arrow made superhero television what it is now. I'll remember that anticipation every Wednesday morning of what the night's episode would provide us. Um, of course, it turned out to be Mondays and Thursdays eventually, but certainly that anticipation was unlike anything else besides maybe Game of Thrones. I'll remember those cryptic tweets from Stephen Amell almost every week referring to his thoughts or teases for, for the upcoming episode. I'll remember that incredibly simple but effective theme from Blake Neely during the credits. I'll remember the Villain of the Week episodes that I, I once despised but, but grew to appreciate over the years. I'll remember those insane fight scenes that James Banford and the, the rest of the, the stunt crew would come up with in, in basically what was very strict network TV restrictions, something that a show like Daredevil certainly can do way more of. Uh, I'll remember, oh boy, will I remember those long commercial breaks during the, the second break of the show. Boy, did those freaking last forever. I will remember waiting for that IGN score every night and waiting to see how low they would put it because they always had those low scores. Um, I'll remember looking forward to hearing Emergency Awesome's thoughts in his videos from every Wednesday. Uh, I'll remember the sense of camaraderie the cast had that couldn't be replicated across all of television. I'll remember the Facebook videos Stephen Mel would put out every now and then answering questions from fans. I'll remember awaiting what big character death or, or twist each season brought. I remember how Diggle perfected the arms crossed look and how when we, my sisters met him a second time, we, we took a picture with him like that because it was just so goddamn perfect. I remember the way my jaw dropped when they killed Tommy, Moira, Sarah, the list goes on. I remember the time they teased Diggle as Green Lantern, and basically the times they teased him. Uh, I remember Grant first showing up as The Flash, feeling like, wow, okay, so this is the potential of superhero television. I remember the turn of Slade Wilson and how it was so goddamn perfect. I'll remember the arc of Adrian Chase and how it was so goddamn delicious. I'll remember when Oliver fell off the cliff in, in season three, mid-season finale, The Climb, which still may be the best episode of Arrow ever. I'll remember my sister legitimately crying when she thought Felicity died at the hands of Damian Dark in season four. I'll remember the, the Arrow conversations at SCO every, every week. I'll remember the anticipation for the crossovers every year and how much they grew in scale and quality. I remember the island blowing up at the end of season five and not being able to comprehend how cool of a cliffhanger that was for this type of show. I'll remember the bittersweet announcement that season eight would be the final season. And I will forever remember meeting nearly every major cast member the show has ever had at conventions over the years and how gracious they were with how much we love the show. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to each and every person involved in the making of Arrow and to Stephen Amell, of course, most of all, who showed us all how to be superheroes on and off the screen. Can't be understated how much I love that show and how much I'm going to miss it. But let's face it, all good things come to an end, and um, I think it was time. It was time. Everybody knows it, but it, it, it was certainly time. So 
uh, rest in peace to Kobe Bryant and, and uh, farewell to Arrow, one of my favorite shows of all time. That'll be it for this week on the TGF the Film Buff Podcast.